it's also my pleasure to welcome back up Dan Kernot. He's going to be sharing God's word with us this morning. If you haven't had the blessing of enjoying his teaching in Sunday school, we now get to enjoy his teaching this morning. So welcome, Dan. Thank you, Josh. It's good to be with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dan Kernet. If you noticed a resemblance between the fellow playing guitar today and me, that's because that's my son. So don't hold that against him after you hear me preach. Um, I'm rather proud of what he has been able to do. I also am excited to be able to be up here and share in leading and worship today with him. You may not realize how much of a privilege that is for a father to be able to lead and worship with his son. It's just kind of an exciting thing. Now, some of you may be asking, what gives me the right to stand up here and bring the Word of God to you? That's a fair question because I've been asking myself that all week. For 53 years, I did serve full-time in ministry. I served 25 years with an inner-city ministry called World Impact. I then served 22 years with the First Evangelical Free Church in Wichita, Kansas. And then I finished up ministry here in St. Louis with Passage uh, Community Church as well as First Baptist Ferguson when Passage and Ferguson merged. Last September, I retired after 53 years of ministry and gratefully went home to relax. What I discovered was that was great for a few weeks, maybe a couple of months, but it's hard to just give up something you've done for 53 years. And so I want to say I am very grateful to Sergey and to the elders here at Chatham for giving me the opportunity to teach a Sunday school class and to that, uh, now come up here and share God's word with you this morning. That is a real privilege, and it's a blessing to me and to my family. If I get a little emotional, you're going to start to learn that I'm that kind of emotional person, but we'll try to hold it together. Part of the emotion is that my daughter-in-law told me this morning that when one of my granddaughters heard I was preaching, she begged to stay in the service. Let's hope that she enjoys this. <clears throat> if not, I could be in big trouble. Um, this morning, we're going to continue our look into Scripture, into the word pictures of the church that are used, the word pictures used to describe the church of God. And we're going to look at the concept of the church today as being described as the flock, as a group of sheep who are led by a shepherd, and that shepherd is the good shepherd. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the Good Shepherd, the Chief Shepherd. Our scripture this morning is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 10. We're going to read through the first 31 verse, or 30 verses in that. If you want to follow along, it is on page 896 of your Pew Bible. You could turn to that. And I just want to say, if you do not have a Bible of your own, we do say that you may take the Pew Bible with you as our gift to you. Or if you have someone you know that would benefit from having a Bible, we would suggest you take that Pew Bible as a gift for them and then help them learn how to read through that. Would you stand with me as I read for us this morning God's Word out of John chapter 10? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, 
but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them away and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep but they are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and he is insane. Why should we listen to him? But others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, I and the Father are one. May God add a blessing to this, the reading of his word. You may be seated. Join me in a moment of prayer. Father, I ask that you would take this red word that we just had, that your Holy Spirit would work it in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts open our minds and allow us to see with your eyes the spiritual truths that we need to see. May it not be my words that are spoken here, but may they be yours. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our sermon this morning in a sentence is this. The church of God is often referred to as a flock of sheep, and Jesus is referred to as the Good Shepherd. Today, we will explore this truth to understand our position in Christ and our benefits of being part of the flock of God. Now, to do that, we need to have a short lesson in animal husbandry. You didn't know you were going to go to school today, but here it comes. 
At the time Jesus walked this planet, the people of Israel and those surrounding them lived in an agricultural society. They were more accustomed to growing crops, raising sheep and goats, or fishing. Some lived in cities, but most lived in smaller towns and villages and were steeped in the agricultural society. Their livelihoods depended upon agriculture. You can understand the importance of this by just looking at the pagan cultures around Israel at the time. Those pagan cultures worship multiple gods who represented the different types of agriculture. They worship the gods of earth, wind, and fire. And no, I'm not going to break out in song, but it does tell you my age. Their lives were influenced greatly by nature. The people of the Middle East were good farmers, but they were even better ranchers and fishermen. Herds of sheep and goats and some cattle could be found everywhere. The wealthier person might have a complete flock of his own. But more often than not, there was a community that would gather together their individual group of sheep to bring them into one larger flock that would form that larger herd that was easier to manage and track. Even to this day, there are nomads who wander in the wilderness areas of the Middle East with their herds, living in tents far removed from the cities. I learned a good amount from a book entitled, While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks, by Dr. Timothy Laniak. Dr. Laniak spent a year from 2003 to 2004 with his family living in the Middle East and wandering the wilderness with nomadic shepherds. He wanted to study leadership. His book is awesome. I would suggest anybody get it. What many of us think about these nomads is summed up in the words of one of the herdsmen who sat down with Tim one of the first weeks he was there, and he said, Hey, mister, what is there to research about us? We are nothing. We just spend our lives running after sheep and goats, neither home nor an address, sleeping under the open sky in winter, in summer, even in rains. Year after year, we measure the length of roads by our feet, carrying our cooking utensils on camels and mules. We can't even rest in one place for a week. Why waste your time then, yours and ours, setting us? Well, that wasn't wasted time, according to Dr. Laniak. He learned so much about what it meant for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to use the word pictures of a shepherd with his sheep. One of the first things you have to understand is it says he will lead his flock. Now, most of us, if we look at National Geographic videos or other things, we see the flock being driven by dogs or nowadays even by uh, motorcycle or horses or some other thing being driven to where they want them to go. But notice in Scripture, it talks about the shepherd leads his flock. They know his voice, they know who he is, and they follow with him. That's something that I want you to keep in mind as we go through this. I was absorbed by much of what Dr. Laniac learned because being a city slicker myself, I did not fully understand animal husbandry. My wife, Karen, who's sitting over here, she and I both were born and raised in Los Angeles, California, not the mecca of agriculture. It is far removed from an agricultural society. While I learned much while living there about city life, and especially when I ministered with World Impact about the struggles of inner city life, I did not learn much about farming or ranching. Later in our lives, we had moved to Wichita, Kansas, and I was serving a church there, and I bought a small 10-acre farmstead. 
It was here that I got my firsthand experience about animal husbandry. It started with one horse, a gift horse. And yes, you know the phrase, do not look a gift horse in the mouth. Does anybody here know why that is? That's because you're city slickers. What you learn is that if you look a gift horse in the mouth, you will understand much about that horse. You can tell his age. You can tell the care that he's received. You can tell his health. You can even tell a little bit about his disposition by the way his teeth are. You get his temperament just looking in his mouth, especially when you try and he bites you. But I didn't know that when Stephanie gifted us Chipper. I gratefully accepted Chipper. My wife was going to get the horse she always wanted. And Stephanie and her father brought Chip, and as they were leaving, Stephanie's dad says to me, by the way, Chip hates men so you be careful around him. Well, that was a fine how do you do. But I learned. I developed trust between Chip and myself. And a year later, when Stephanie and her dad stopped by the farm, her father was blown away by the loving relationship he saw between Chip and I. He couldn't believe it was the same horse. It showed me that love heals many wounds, and that relationship, growing together, bonding, heals many hurts. So what does this have to do with our sermon this morning? I don't know, but I got to tell you, after that horse, I realized that we needed more animals. So we got lucky. We were gifted two alpine goats. They're great. They weigh about 180 pounds each and stand like this tall, and they love to climb, which you find out quickly. We were also gifted two billy goats, regular obnoxious goats. We also bought another horse so that Chipper wouldn't be alone, and then we were gifted a third horse. You start to see the pattern here. I'm not that kind of person, except that I love animals. Well, I want you to keep in mind all of this stuff that we talk about this because I learned a lot, especially from the goats. They could be obnoxious, but they could also be loving. They could be gentle. They could be fun to be around. And they were loyal to their shepherd. Let's explore a little more about sheep, though. I never had sheep so I had to do more reading. As we delve into this, I want you to keep in mind that the Bible often refers to the people of God as sheep of his pasture. Now, let me be blunt. Sheep are stupid. Did you catch that? Sheep are stupid. And you've just been told that you're the sheep of God. Anybody catch on what that means? Logic 101 says sheep are stupid, you're a sheep, you are stupid. Well, yeah, sheep are kind of dumb. They end up at the bottom of the list of intelligent animals on a farm. There's a hierarchy of animals. Dogs are near the top. Then might come the horses, and after that might be the cows, then the chickens, then the goats, and finally at the bottom of the hierarchy, you have the sheep. Oh, now, I did leave one animal out, and that's the cat. Now, the cat thinks he's the top of the list, and he will let you know and everybody else that his perceived truth must be the gospel truth. But that's a story for another day. We won't talk about cats. You're supposed to laugh. (laughs) You haven't caught my sense of humor yet. Sheep also don't have common sense. They need a shepherd. Without a shepherd, they wander off and they get lost. Without a shepherd, they will eat a pasture down to the roots and kill the grass. They have to be led. The shepherd has to take them from one pasture to another. 
He has to make sure that they do not eat the grass to the roots and kill it. He moves them from one grazing place to another that, they may re- that the grass may recover and grow fresh. That is one of the reasons that Nomad said earlier to Dr. Laniac, we can't stay in one place more than a week because if we do, they'll kill the grass. That's why there were range wars in the United States and the West in the early days when sheep were introduced into the range and the cattle ranchers hated them because they would destroy the pasture land. Sheep don't have common sense. They'll put their head down while grazing and they won't look up. They might wander off the side of a hill or drop into a gully or they have even been known to wander right up to a predator, unaware that it is even standing there waiting to eat them. So, they need a shepherd to look out for them, to guide them, to love them, to care for their wounds, and to protect them from strangers, from predators. So let's examine a little bit about what Scripture has to say about the Good Shepherd. Now, I've got to tell you, as I was studying this, getting ready for this sermon, I made a frightful discovery. There's too much information for one sermon. This should be like a three-part series. So, Kevin said he would order in lunch for all of us because he heard it was going to go long. So let him know what you would like to eat. Our call to worship this morning was from Psalm 23. Those of us who grew up going to church know that psalm well. It's likely at one time or another we memorized that psalm. But what does Psalm 23 tell us? Oh, and let's not forget the fact that this psalm was written by a shepherd, by King David himself. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He knows that the Lord being his shepherd means he is going to have the things that he needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside still waters. One of the things you'll learn from Dr. Laniac is that it's not always easy to find green pastures in the Middle East. Shepherds have to look for that. They have to know where they are, and they have to be diligent to take their sheep to them. And leading them beside still waters, that's important because there is a significant lack of water in the Middle East. But when the rains come, the shepherd has to be sure the sheep aren't in any ravines or gullies because flash floods will carry them away. Again, he's protecting them. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you've ever heard good teaching on this psalm, you will understand that line because somebody will bring in a rod and a staff. I forgot mine today. But a big walking stick is a great staff. It's one that can be used to ward off the wolf or the bear. It can be used to beat them back, to protect the sheep. Shepherds have those. David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A shepherd wrote this. This could be one sermon all in itself, digging apart all these little aspects. But that's not our task this morning. The Old Testament is full of concepts of God as a shepherd. It's also interesting that sheep and shepherds make up much of the history of the Old Testament. Let's take a real quick running look at the Old Testament. First, in Genesis, we have a reflection on Jacob, and he's a shepherd. Jacob goes to find a wife, 
And he goes and he finds Laban and he finds Rachel and he decides, wow, she's cute. I want her. And he says to Laban, can I have her as a wife? And he says, if you serve me for seven years. How did he serve him? As a shepherd. And at the end of seven years, what did he get? Leah. If you don't know the story, it makes great stuff. Karen, they ought to make a Hallmark movie out of this. It would be great. He wakes up and there's Leah. I won't even go into that. Seven more years and he gets another wife. Fourteen years and then there's even more. And he goes back to Laban and he says, I've been here this long time. I want to go back to my family, but I want to take cattle with me. I want to take some sheep with me. And Laban says, well, you've made me strong. Divide the flocks. And he got all the weak sheep and Laban got all the strong. But then as he prayed to God, God started to allow stronger sheep to be part of his flock. And he built them up, and when we find him later going home and meeting Esau, he has herds and herds of sheep and goats going before him. Then we go on from there into Exodus, and we come to the famous story of Moses. This child who was beautiful in the sight of God. This child who was put into a little boat and sent out on the Nile to die, but got adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in Pharaoh's court. This Moses who became great in the land of Egypt until he killed an Egyptian who was abusing his brother Israelites. He then flees to the wilderness and what does he become? A nomad. A shepherd. Gets a wife, a couple of kids. But he's out in the wilderness leading his sheep. And we all know the story. There's a burning bush that's not consumed. And God sends him back to Egypt to rescue God's people, God's flock. And Moses is the one that's going to lead them out. Really? Go back and read your Bible. How did they get out? They followed a cloud of smoke and a pillar of fire. God led them out. The only time God got behind them was when they crossed the Red Sea and God stood back there to keep Egypt from coming after them. But other than that, God led his flock, his people through the wilderness. Are you getting a signal here of what happens? Fast forward up to King David. Where did they even find King David? He was out wandering the wilderness with a flock of sheep. He was the least of the family. He was the least of the brothers. He was the least of the clan. But God said, he is a man after my heart. He is a shepherd. And God promised David that one of his descendants would forever be on the throne and thus be the shepherd of Israel forever. The theme of the church is the flock and the Lord is the good shepherd it's a theme we can't ignore. It's a theme that is destined to be here. Now let's get back to our scriptures so that you don't think I'm going to abandon it. In John chapter 10, the first two verses, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door by the shepherd or enters the door, is the shepherd of the sheep. In Jesus' time in the community of shepherds, they would make sheep folds at night, and the sheep would be brought into those folds. They would have three strong sides, and then there would be a fourth side that would have a gate, and the shepherds would bring the flocks in and put them in the sheepfold for the night, and one particular shepherd would sit at the gate as the gatekeeper to protect the only person or persons to enter by that gate would be the shepherds known by the gatekeeper and whose sheep were in the enclosure. 
Anyone else had no business being there. Dr. Laniac observed this even in our modern times. Now let's read further, John 10, verses 3 to 4. Then him, to him, the shepherd that is, the gatekeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. It's important to note here that the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and they know it. It's also important to note that the shepherd calls his sheep by name. Now, who knows the name of his sheep? Or who even bothers to name his sheep? That seems rather personal, doesn't it? But it's interesting, Dr. Laniac notes that when he was there and he observed this, it was interesting that as each shepherd would call to his sheep, only his sheep would respond and come out of the fold and follow him. Then the next shepherd would come and call his, and his sheep would get up. They know the shepherd's voice. When you think this is a little personal, I've got a story. I have a friend, Brad, who is a farmer in Kansas. He married a young lady by the name of Becky, a young woman that went to our college group and was in our college study. And Brad came, and they met, and they got married. When she moved to the farm with Brad, he brought home their first cow. Becky immediately named the cow. Brad was concerned and told her, you can't do that. And she says, why can't I do that? I mean, don't you guys, if you bring in an animal, don't you name it? Yeah. Why can't I name the cow, Becky says. He says, it's harder to butcher a cow that you have named and that you care about. Well, is that true? I think so. A long time ago, I met a man by the name of David Kitchen, and he took me to his farm, and he took me out, and he says, you want to feed the calf? I said, sure. I had this great big bottle, and I'm feeding the calf, and it's sucking away at it. I said, how big will this calf get? And he says, not very big. That one's for veal. If you don't know animal husbandry, it means that in a couple of months, they were going to butcher that young infant cow to make it very tender. Those big eyes looked up at me as it was sucking on that bottle, and my heart broke. Becky and I are in the same boat. Now, Karen will tell you that I bring home strays. True? Yeah. And she also knows this. If I bring a stray home, she says, don't name it. Because if I name it, what happens? We're keeping it. Ask my granddaughter about Izzy, dog that fell in love with my wife. But the dog I brought home two Sundays ago, we did not name, and it's gone. But Jesus tells us that the shepherd knows each sheep by name. There is ownership, there is caring, there is a relationship being built. He also tells us that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Going back to Dr. Laniac and his work with the nomads, he acknowledges this, and he says, it is interesting to watch the sheep know his voice, and the sheep will follow that shepherd. Even when their heads are down and grazing, they will follow wherever the shepherd goes as long as he keeps talking. Many of the shepherds learn to sing to their sheep because if they're singing to the animals, the animals know where they are and they can continue to follow the shepherd, even with their heads down while grazing. Now you may think that this sounds strange. Now you're gonna learn a little more about me. After we got our farm, I had a three month time period where I was home with an illness. I got to stay on the farm for three months and I found myself singing to the animals. Nobody was around. Nobody would know it. Further, when I was home, I found that it was rather fun to take out a lawn chair and sit in the pasture, and the horses would gather around, the goats would come, 
the dog would come, even two of the cats would come and sit there and I would read them a novel. <laughs> Why are you laughing? <laughs> there were days when I go to turn a chapter and think I could stop here and the horse would nudge me like, no, I want to know what happens. What it really truly was is the fact that they found the voice soothing. They found the voice comforting. They found that they wanted their shepherd. Let's stop for a moment and let's reflect on this. Do you know your shepherd's voice? Do you recognize Jesus' voice? Are you able to distinguish his voice from others, from the false shepherds who come and crave to draw you away from the loving God, your true shepherd? Do you know his voice? Let's pause for a minute and you listen for that voice. You need to learn to hear that voice. We're learning in my Sunday school class that the Holy Spirit resides in each of us. That Holy Spirit is there. Do you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to you? That's your good shepherd's voice. Do you know it? Do you understand it? Do you hear it? Do you respond to it? I want to stop and take a side note here. Kevin, this is why the sermon's going to go an hour. Karen will tell you when I take side notes, everybody gets fearful. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself this question? Why did the disciples drop everything and follow Jesus when he called to them? Josh read for us out of Matthew, and he read the part where it says, Simon and Andrew, James and John, they just dropped what they were doing and they followed Jesus. Why? Jesus walked by and he says, hey, follow me. They dropped everything. Philip calls Nathaniel, come meet the Messiah. And as Nathaniel's coming and just a little ways off, Jesus says, an Israelite, a true Israelite. And Nathaniel says, how do you know? Because I saw you while you were sitting under the tree before Philip called you. And Nathaniel believed. I think Personally, I conjecture that all of them stopped what they were doing and following Jesus because instinctively they knew the voice of their shepherd. When he spoke to them, it resonated deep within them and something clicked and said, I know that voice. They heard the voice of their shepherd and they dropped everything and they followed him. John 10, 5 to 6 says, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Jesus was giving us an example to learn from, to live by. We must learn to hear and distinguish our Savior's voice from the voices of false teachers, from false messiahs, from false Christ. Let us not be like his early hearers of the Middle East of that day who did not understand what he was saying to them. Because they weren't quite catching it, it tells us that Jesus repeated the teaching. In John 10, starting at verse 7, it says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, Truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. The thief comes in only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. In reaction to this section, Jesus gets very specific. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. No equivocation. No beating around the bush. No pulling punches. He flat out says, I am the good shepherd. He can't get any more direct than this. He follows that up quickly with the statement that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You will notice in the Gospels as Jesus gets closer to that time of laying down his life, he gets more and more direct with his statements. And that's what's happening here. He's getting more direct. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He can't get any more plain than this. In John 10, 16 to 19, we read, And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. For there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus tells us he has sheep of another fold, other than the one he's talking to. He's talking to the nation of Israel, the flock of God, but he says, I have another flock, another fold that you know nothing about, that I must bring and add to this one. That other fold, I believe, is the Gentiles. It's you and I. It's the rest of the world, because remember in the Great Commission, take the gospel to the ends of the earth. May every nation hear of the glory of God. I have sheep in another fold that I am going to bring together and make one flock under one good shepherd. Praise the Lord. In John 19, 21, the response of the crowd was heard who heard Jesus' teaching. There was a division among them. Many said he has a demon and is insane. And yet others said, no, he doesn't have a demon because a demon cannot open the eyes of the blind. The crowd is split at this point on who Jesus is, except for those who are already following him because they know the voice of their shepherd. The reason the crowd is, the crowd is split is because some of them don't yet know the voice of their shepherd. They need to learn that voice. Well, I'm over my time, so you're going to have to bear with me. John 10, 22 to 31 is the end of the story. It says, at the time of the Feast of Dedication taking place in Jerusalem, which is a little while after his first talk here, it says it was winter and Jesus is walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, duh. He has been. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And a verse I didn't read, verse 31, what does it say? The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. 
Why? The simple answer is because they don't know his voice. They don't know the voice of the shepherd. The more complex answer comes from prophecy. Remember, these Jews are the religious rulers, the ones who know the Old Testament Scripture backwards and forwards. The previous teaching of Jesus in John 10 has got to have been weighing on them because it is eerily familiar. Listen to these words from Ezekiel chapter 34, which is also written in Jeremiah. Two prophets, same words. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy to the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones and you do not feed my sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought out, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, he says in verse 5. They wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. My sheep were scattered over all the earth with none to search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Verse 12, as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my flock. I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered. I will feed them. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And the prophecy continues. I won't read it all here. We're out of time. But go home and read all of chapter 34 after hearing about the fact that you are the sheep and that Jesus is the good shepherd. But listen to the very last verse of chapter 34 of Ezekiel, verse 31. And you are my sheep human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. Can he be any more direct? You are my human sheep. You are stupid. Not really. He thinks you're precious. Enough so that he knows you, and he calls you by name. He meets your real needs. He sacrifices himself for you, and he gives you, his sheep, an eternal pasture of peace and security. Praise God. You are the sheep, a part of the flock of the Good Shepherd. As we move into a time of observing the Lord's Supper, let us do so with the knowledge that this supper represents that sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated for his sheep. He laid down his life, the life of the good shepherd for his flock. In a few minutes, we will sing our next song, and you may come down to the table to receive the communion elements. Or you can use one of the prepackaged kits from out in the back. If you're up in the balconies, you can go to the end where the communion elements are. For those of you who cannot get up, if you just raise your hand, one of our elders will be happy to bring the bread and the cup to you. 
We observe an open table here at Chatham Bible Church. What that means is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to participate with us. If you're not a believer, I would encourage you not to partake, but instead take the time to reflect on the words that you have heard today and to determine whether you want the Lord Jesus Christ to be your good shepherd. If you would like to speak to someone about that, come see me or one of the elders that you saw up here earlier or one of the worship team or even the person sitting next to you. Ask them how to receive Jesus Christ as your good shepherd. If you want to know more, feel free to even call the office this week and the staff will be happy to chat with you. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for the fact that you are the good shepherd, that you are the one who brought to us the word, that you are the one who came and descended from heaven to walk this world, to be among your sheep, to walk among them and learn how smelly they are, how wounded they are, how in need they are. You, Jesus, came and you showed us what it meant to love. You showed us what it meant to be a member of your flock. You showed us what sacrificial love is, which we are going to remember as we come to this table. Paul wrote for us in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 26, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.